sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Rise and shine, sports fans. It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood. Scary. It's Friday the 13th. Let's cock-a-doodle do it. This is the early line giving you the edge right here on Sports Grid. I'm Dane Martinez, and as always, I got my main man, Kevin Walsh, burning the candle at both ends, trying to give you all the information you need to make it a profitable day, and we'll try to put the fun and functional sports content at the same time. And, Kev, we have a football Friday, but first, we have to check on the Masters, okay? We were so up for the Masters, right, Kev? All week, we were excited. We were like, oh, they're going to be playing when we're on air for round one. Well, they were for about 20 minutes. And then there was a rain delay for about three hours. And what that did was force everybody starts back, Kevin. Unfortunately, the first round is not complete just yet. If you, for example, have had Paul Casey as your first round leader, you wake up the next day thinking he's at the top of the leaderboard. Let me cash my bet. But no, no, no. It is not done just yet. You see all the way up at the top, Justin Thomas blistering this course he is you know um doing very well through uh 10 holes as well at minus five you've got other guys like adam scott uh the wolf man who you know cam likes as well they're gonna get on the course starting in about a half an hour to finish round one and then of course you know some people are going to be playing as many as 27 holds today trying to get in round one and round two before the sun sets in augusta which apparently is like some weird thing also that the sun never actually sets in augusta or at least it does so a full hour hour and a half after right. uh you know where we are in the new york metropolitan area last i checked we were both in the eastern time zone but i digress kev did you enjoy the masters action yesterday Oh my goodness, I've had the time of my life. Um, I've come to just <laughs> accept that I am now obsessed with watching in-game numbers move. Oh me, oh my, was the first-round leaderboard an absolute mm-hmm. madhouse. Bryson DeChambeau, right? This is, it was incredible. First hole, amen's corner, five-foot yep. putt. For birdie, and you, and it's all about. It's almost like everyone's like, "Oh my God, he's gonna break the course." He goes to plus six fifty for the first round leaderboard. His odds cut in half, if not more than that. Smokes it, finishes only with par. Comes back down to twelve hundred. Hits his tee shot. It's a mess. Goes all yeah. the way left. Hits a provisional. Oh, yeah. Almost the same distance left, and ever, and his line drops all the way down to 270. Guess what? Saves par. We're back in the mix. And he's back to his 1,400 range. Then, as you mentioned, all of a sudden he double bogeys. Can't find him anywhere on the leaderboard. The best thing, though, is he figures it out towards the end. He's 14-1 to 1 to win this tournament, and he's really not that far back. Now, the weird thing is we don't know what the leaderboard is going to look like for the end of round one. Bryson is also, because of the early tee time, he's the late tee time. So there's going to be a lot of golf played 
from now until when we see DeChambeau take the course again. Maybe you're better off waiting for that golf to be played out. But basically, the feeling around Bryson is he played about as bad as he could and was still yeah. under par. I'm interested in DeChambeau at 14-1. to 1. Yeah, absolutely. As we welcome in our radio audience from around the country, big shout out to everybody getting on the grid bright and early with us, Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh on the early line. To a certain extent, Kev, you can say the same thing about John Rahm, who did not necessarily have his A game, shall we say, is still under par. You know, and listen, they say a lot. You can't necessarily win a major in the first round, but you can absolutely lose it. So being just on the right side of par is important. And Kev, you know, who else is on the right side of par is Mr. Eldrick Woods, okay? And it's interesting. You know how we talk about, hey, he's not in good form, maybe not at 47 to 1. But one thing I noticed, and I'm a very novice golfer myself, Kev, but this dude knows every nook and cranny of this course, you know? And so when other people are wondering about where's the break or how do I chip it here and have it fall off this way, he knows exactly where to go. You know, he knows exactly how to read these greens. He knows exactly how these holes play. And, you know, that's a little bit of an advantage for him. He is imminently comfortable at this course and he showed it he looked locked in his demeanor was calm he shot a 68 in round one he's four under and right there in contention he's now up 18 to one to win this tournament my absolute favorite stat this guy's won this tournament five times okay Yesterday was the first bogey-free bogey round free. he has ever played at the Masters. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That, is, that would be like if LeBron was like, oh, it's the first time he's ever played a playoff game without turning the ball over in year 17. You'd be like, that's, right. that's no way that's real. And yet, Tiger Woods <laughs> somehow has done it. At 18 to 1, listen, you might say to yourself, oh, there's no value there. This guy had much bigger prices. Sure. But he came out and he started to play great golf. Right. There is clearly something. When you listen to people that know this great sport, okay, they say there is something different about Augusta. You don't have, it doesn't matter the form. For a guy like Tiger, a guy like Bubba Watson, you show up, yeah. I'm buying it. You got a round of watching Tiger show up. Hard not to bite. Yeah, another guy I'm going to tell you right now to keep an eye on who seems to always show up. He is a former Masters champion. Adam Scott is, you know, minus four, and he has the whole nine to play in round one as well with the big old long putter. Check him out. Other guys we were on, like Xander Shoffley, even my go, Louis Eustazen with a good round one. We go to Football Friday after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the edge, Dane and Kevin, putting the fun and functional sports content. We will check in on the Masters throughout the show. Remember, the first round resumes in about, you know, 15, 20 minutes. So we'll be giving you updates. We'll certainly kind of wrap up at the end of the show, giving you another snapshot 
of the leaderboard. But, Kev, it is a football Friday, week 10 of the NFL season, kicked off yesterday in a big old AFC South matchup where the Indianapolis Colts will go into Tennessee, get a big win to even up the AFC South. Both of those teams now stand at 6-3. and three. We've mentioned how these two teams will play again in two weeks. But as of now, the Colts have the tiebreaker with this head-to-head win from last night. They are in first place in the AFC South, like I said, both with records of 6-3. and three. And, Kev, I mean, for me, you know, we talk about three phases of the game. Kev, mm. and honestly, the special teams was huge. I mean, they made the point. They called up their punter from the practice squad. He shanks a 17-yard punt to give them a very uh, short field. Uh, the Colts cash in, you know, double back handspring. Our guy Naheem Hines with a never two-touchdown effort. Then, you know, Tennessee goes three and out, blocked punt. Boom, yet another score. Then on the next drive, Tennessee kind of drives a little bit. Goskowski misses again. That was a huge flip, in my opinion. This game was still kind of a one-score game in the third quarter. Then you blinked, and all of a sudden, Indy had the king margin. A lot of stuff to cover. Special teams was a big takeaway for me. What did you notice big time in this game? So yesterday on this show, we spent a lot of time talking about why did this line move? And anybody that yeah. knows me knows that when this show's over, it's not like I stopped my quest to figure out why in the world this line moved. Sure. And I think I came up with some type of reasoning. And then as I watched the game played out, I think I figured it out. And You know how the Seattle Seahawks defense is probably going to cost them a chance at actually winning the Super Bowl? The Titans might fit that same description because the Tennessee Titans had a two-game losing streak where the Steelers very likely could have blown them out, right? I was someone who admittedly gave more credence to the Titans were a Goskowski field goal away, sidebar, cut him. He should not have a job anymore. But I was like, oh, they were a field goal away from winning in overtime. Then they lost to the Bengals, but I felt the Bengals were live in the game. Clearly, I think we saw the Sharps felt, and you're going to laugh when it's this coming from me, that the Titans' issues were masked by the absolutely dreadful, unforgivably bad Chicago Bears offense. And that is why they were willing to fade this Titans team into oblivion. And guess what? If that's what it was, Dane, they were bang on. Colts punted once. It was their last drive of the game where they didn't care anymore. And had the game still been in doubt, they wouldn't have punted. That's impossible. Are you Against Phillip Rivers, you couldn't make a splash play, a sack, where mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have them in a right. down and distance that forces so them to punt. Calls. <laughs> right. There was a couple of fourth downs. They just went for him because they were all incredibly short yardage, favorable field position. I mean, they sacked Phillip Rivers once. They did so when that we too. talk, you're right. That indie, there was a number of indie drives where they went for it on fourth down multiple mm-hmm. times. You know, even Gabe made the point yesterday that like teams just aren't going for it. Uh, I mean, aren't punting like prop bets on the punts are all going under. The Colts went for it on fourth down five times in this game, going three of five. Yeah, but the thing is, 
And that's not that doesn't skew like oh they could have forced punts. No, it would have just been forcing field goals. Like these were right. favorable field positions time and time again, and it was fourth and two, fourth and one. Why wouldn't they go for it? So I look at this Titans team who now has the mini buy to get ready for the Baltimore Ravens, and then a week later we'll see this Colts team again. The one thing they can hang their hat on is a Dory Jackson missed this football game. Maybe Adore Jackson's the most valuable defensive player in football. We'll see, okay? But that is why I think this team was faded. And ultimately, if that is why, couldn't have been more right. Basically didn't force the Colts off the field once. That's that's jarring. That's jarring. This is not that dynamic of a Colts offense. And Jonathan Taylor's home. Yeah, I hear you. And listen, remember, Tennessee thought that themselves. Remember, they went and acquired Desmond and King. So they knew they needed some support on that backside. Desmond King was there. You're right. Adoree Jackson was not. I will, on the positive side for the Tennessee defense, say that uh, Jeffrey Simmons, last year's first-round pick out of Mississippi State, continues to make plays on that front. But, yes, even the Colts' offense, who we think is rather uh, conservative, shall we say, they were able to put up 34 points. The kid Michael Pittman out of USC. Remember, he missed some time in the middle of the season having, I believe, a calf surgery. He was doing big things. Seven for 101 through the air. The heaviest targeted receiver by Phillip Rivers. And talk to me now, Kev, you know, this Colts team that is six and three. We know about their defense. Talk to me about this run game because honestly, double back handspring was the best player on the field yesterday, right? Not only being used in the passing game, which you and I have said was part of the reason remember even going into this season i said naheem hines was probably the back to own in indianapolis because he at least had that role but kev they're using naheem hines in between the tackles they're using him on goal line runs 12 carries 70 yards and he looks like he's got a little juice whereas wilkins and 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 your boy jt quite frankly did not talk to me about them utilizing naheem hines moving forward establishing the run is fake Okay, at some point, not this year, I don't know when we will, but we will all acknowledge that that is fake. Because here's why this team comes out with Jonathan Taylor, and clearly the Titans are like, oh, we're ready for the run. Jordan Wilkins, oh yeah, we're ready for the run. Naheem Hines comes out, they just go in the shotgun, he goes to his right. right or his left. This is what I do in Madden, by the way, okay? And you just, you're running into empty set boxes because when it's Naheem Hines and four wide what are you going to do pack the house no running into holes running into lanes no problem 12 for 70 wildly efficient from Naheem Hines so that's the reality here for the Indianapolis Colts I mean listen Wilkins still was the better back I mean Jonathan Taylor is so bad it's not even funny I can't believe people argued me on this eventually it'll become the you know accepted reality seven carries 12 yards got stuffed on the goal line he had two catches for 25 that was nice Uh, but ultimately this is I don't know if Naheem Hines is going to be the lead carrier on this team game in game out but it makes it harder to predict again everybody knows you have the option to run the football the run is established Put yourself in favorable positions. Because the thing with the Colts is, when they got stopped, it was, all right, all 11 guys into the box, let's just run dives with Wilkins and dives with Taylor. And that's when they turned the football over. 
No, I'm I'm with you. Listen, I have been on Naheem Hines all season long. I've been telling you he is the back to own in Indianapolis, and I continue to believe that he will be the highest fantasy scoring back in Indianapolis for the rest of the season. On the Tennessee side, your boy in the NWO only one catch, 21 yards. Oh. It was Corey Davis who uh, was the leading receiver there, 5 for 67. And I do want to just make the point, obviously, Kev, he was playing with a heavy heart. His brother, mm-hmm. Titus Davis. Obviously passed yeah. away earlier this week. Corey Davis, you know, honoring his brother with a nice effort, five for sixty-seven uh, for Tennessee. Yeah, they showed that he was, you know, on the sidelines crying. Obviously, that type of Absolutely. stuff. Um, really, really hard to watch. I will make the point, uh, Ryan Tannehill, right now, um, maybe not putting up the gaudy numbers that we were used to, has thrown for yeah. one hundred and forty-seven yards and one hundred and fifty-eight yards in his last two games. He is not thrown. For 230 yards since an overtime game against the Houston Texans, or he threw for 233 against the Bengals. That's the high over his last four football games. And AJ Brown, it was pretty wild, but he dropped what very well could have been a 70 yard touchdown pass. The yes. second drive and of the was game. Pissed off at himself on the sidelines. <laughs> and just never regrouped, never found a rhythm in this football yep. game. Their passing attack never found a rhythm in this football game. And as I've talked about countless times, Tannehill greater than Derrick Henry. There you go. This was one of those games where Henry got above his, but Tannehill did not get above his. But there's an issue here with Derrick Henry. Sometimes he could get game scripted out of the game. McNichols on the field the entire time. We got more Week 10 to cover when we come back here on the Early Nine. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the edge on SportsGrid. Big shout-out to all of our affiliates getting on the grid early with us, Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh. Kev, this is a big Week 10. I think there's some interesting divisional matchups, some interesting places in the playoff picture where, you know, heads-up wins are going to be important. I want to start with, uh, you know, going into the NFC West, which we have been talking about as one of the better divisions, and they've got two big boys up at the top matching up this week the seattle seahawks they go to los angeles to take on the rams the seahawks are six and two the rams one game back in division at five and three here's what i want to ask you one of your kind of trends you have been telling us to keep an eye on is to believe in the teams coming off their bye, right? That would be the Rams in this situation. The Rams are also home. Seattle would be their second road game in a row. Remember, they were in Buffalo last week and lost. Now they have back-to-back road games. The Rams are coming off their bye. Maybe they get Henderson back. Remember, coming off the thigh. You have been saying that teams off the bye have been um, explosive offensively. Do you believe that will happen? I mean, you know, being explosive against the Seahawks defense doesn't seem to be crazy these days how do you see this game playing out good point so i can bring up that i was wrong because Ah. we had three teams home off the bye last week the dolphins beat the cardinals the cardinals were off of their bye at home washington footballs 
at home off their bye, lose outright as favorites. And then the Texans were off their bye, traveling to the Jaguars, who were home off their bye. The Jags covered, but it was a backdoor cover. I mean, and it wasn't backdoor. They could have converted. Nevertheless, I don't know what to make of these buys anymore. I don't. Thursday night teams still continue okay. to cover. With that being said, oh boy, this game is tough. Because I really don't want to bet on Russell Wilson to lose two consecutive football games. Right. But I also want to trust Sean McVay off of his bye, where the Rams are 3-0 and on the season at home in a really, really important game. By the way, a loss here, the Rams go to, like, super fraudulent, right? Because then we start to turn the music up on all you've beaten is the NFC East and the Chicago Bears. Right. But right. with a win here, it's like, oh, this team can win the I NFC the West. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's, it's incredible how much this will shift the perception mm-hmm. around the Rams. I got to lean towards the Rams. I got to lean towards the schedule spot. I got to lean on that defense of the Seattle Seahawks being just so abysmal. Yeah, it's tough, man. It's it's a real I don't and I don't know, maybe I'm making this game more difficult than it is. I don't know what you think, Dane, but I'm leaning towards the Rams. I'd weirdly I'd like them a lot more had Seattle won last week. I think it's a tough spot for Seattle. You know that, uh, Kev, I put some credence in things like extended travel and things like rest disparities and in things like back-to-back road games. Okay, the bu- um, Buffalo is growing in physicality. I know the Rams are physical from the inside out. Remember, I've been telling you that the Rams are now a running team, that their offensive line is big against the Seattle defense. I am kind of with you, and guess what? The money is with you as well. This game did not start out at minus two okay it has actually been you know going in that direction i saw it at one point earlier in the week and now it is two so the money is coming in on the los angeles rams and you're absolutely right kev this division is could get very very tight after week 10 another reason kev it could get tight is the other team in the nfc west that has a huge matchup to me this You know, you talk about how the narrative will change around the Rams if they win or lose this game. The other game, I think that's a marquee game featuring an NFC West team, is the Buffalo Bills going to Arizona, Kev, to take on these Cardinals. I am excited for this one. I think you can say the same thing, Kev, about the Cardinals, right? If they win, right, and are at 6-3, and and say the Rams win, and then all three of those teams are at 6-3, and whoa, the narrative around the Arizona Cardinals, the narrative around, say, Kylo Murray, and candidacies will be going crazy. Here's what I want to ask you about this one, though. I this this quarterback matchup. There are going to be some plays made by both of these quarterbacks. Kev, this game deservedly so. I think is the highest total on the board at 56 and a half. Yeah. I, I'm taking the over. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know how, like, I would take the over at 59 and a half, I think, in this one. Do you, like me, expect a ton of points and maybe DFS stacks galore in this game? I mean, it's hard not to with the way these two quarterbacks are playing. I will say right. I struggle a little bit to know how confident I am in Buffalo's offense because they just played the Seahawks defense, and it's almost – like those games don't Fair. count. Let me just quickly broach a subject, though, because of the, the two games that we just talked about. Are we sure the NFC West is good? Because pretty early in the season, we crowned this, this division as 
the best in football by a country mile. Four playoff teams, magnificent. Yet, they've all beaten up on the NFC East, right? They've beaten each other. None of them have beaten Buffalo. They play the AFC East. You can care less about any team that's beaten the Patriots. The Dolphins just went into Arizona and got a win. I mean, what's their best win on the year outside of playing one another? Seattle beating the Vikings? I mean, it's really bad. And that's my struggle with this game, is I don't know if this division is any good. I don't know how good any of these teams actually are. That's what I'm really starting so is this to struggle with. Is test for you about the Cardinals or about the Bills? So to this you, this is, is about, more of a litmus test for the Cardinals playing yes. against a team that you believe or are more confident is at least a Tier 2 team? We'll say it that way. Yeah, the, the Bills are good. I mean, the Bills, the Bills are at least good, a good great. team. We think yeah, the Bills they're at are least good, a good great, team. But we are confident. Yeah. We know that to be true, right? And so it mm-hmm. sounds like what you're saying is this is more of an opportunity for an yeah. NFC West team to demonstrate that they can get a win against a team that, you know, we respect as good. Right. I mean, so that realistically, said, like, do you like Buffalo plus the points on the road? I don't know, and maybe I'm bur- I got burned by Arizona last week. I loved them against Miami. I really did. And like, can I just make this point on Arizona? Their wins, okay? Niners, Washington, Jets, Cowboys, Seattle. Their losses: home versus the Lions, at the Panthers, home versus the Dolphins. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't add up for this team. Like, it, it, it's just like, oh, you won a couple division games. Like, I don't know if the Cardinals are good. Like, the fact that their secondary is, a, you know, a little bit depleted. We know Chandler Jones is gone. He's gone. I Yeah. Like, everything tells me to take Arizona. When we recap this game and we go, oh, look, the NFC West is a mess. Like, us leaving yeah. the week. Dane and being, you know, you always, sometimes you'll ask me this as our final thing of the show. What are we talking right. about? Right? I'm I think there's a yeah. world where we're like, oh, the NFC is down to the Saints and the Packers and the Bucks, right, and that's right, it. Right. Like, because we're just done with the West as a whole. Realistically, okay. I mean, if the Bears handled their business and then the Cardinals and the Rams drop their respective games, how much does that conversation flip on its head? Massively. I know I'm kind of spinning my wheels here, not necessarily giving people the pick, but I think it's an important conversation that not enough people are talking about here, is that the NFC West as a whole might be Fugazi. I hear what you're saying. I'm not there yet. I understand what you're talking about, about now as we look at, you know, it's almost like looking at college football in the AP poll, right, and how good these Mm -hmm. conferences are and how these losses or wins stack up as we move along. And I hear what you're saying. I, with the eye test, still do believe that these teams are good. I believe the AFC North could threaten the idea of best division in football, like when we thought it was the NFC West right off the bat. I will say this, two things to respond to you one Kenyon Drake I expect to potentially be back for these Arizona Cardinals and you've mentioned that Chase Edmonds kind of uh fell off a little bit in recent weeks so it will be good to potentially get Drake back in that running game to add balance you said you were struggling to give a pick I have an idea of what I would like to do in this game let me see if Mm -hmm. you buy it Kev um 
I would tease the Bills and then tease it and hop over, right? If I can get the Bills through three and through seven, because I believe yeah. Josh Allen and these Bills and this kind of, if it's going to be a back and forth game, back door, this profiles to me like last quarterback with the ball is going to have a shot. You know what I mean? And so that's why I think, you know, the idea of the two and a half is interesting. But if I could get it yeah. through three and through seven, right? If I could get the Bills to plus eight and a half, and then I yeah. could take this number down a little bit, I'm confident I could hop over it, right? So I might go Bills yeah. and the over with a little tease action in this one. Do you buy that? No, I like that. I think that's a really, really good call. You, we've talked about the value of getting through some key numbers. Um, yeah. I mean, you could also take the – if you don't want to do a same-game teaser, right, you could very much so find other partners on the board. Uh, you know, we sure. usually will identify those as the, sure. the talks go on. I also agree with you, too, on the over here, right? I mean, at the end of the day, is 56-and-a-half high? Yeah. But yes. <laughs> for a reason, you know? Like last week, I took the Bill Seahawks game over – and I, right. you know, I tweeted out the pick, and I said, "You ever just want a, an easy day? Because it's an obvious pick. Everyone's taking the over. Let's just have an easy day. Let's get a winner. Got a winner. The game got up into the seventies. This very well could be the same. So, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think you take the over. And if I had to make a pick, I, I probably the teaser, or I just go out swinging with Arizona, and I figure out if there is any meat on this NFC West bone." Yeah, fair enough. I just think it's too attractive to get me through three and seven with the way I mm -hmm. think these guys are going to be going back and forth. Well, we'll yep. also note there's weather in some places in the country around the NFL for week 10. Arizona is not one of those places. So conditions will be right mm -hmm. for scoring when we come back. We got more week 10. It's a football Friday here on the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the edge on Sports Grid. We continue looking at some of these NFC teams, right? We looked at the NFC West, where we were, were now wondering um, – you know, like, is that division the cream of the crop? Like we were saying, another division that I want to wonder about that we'll get some of these proof points with, even a South versus West proof point, is in these NFC South, right? Like, what is the narrative around Tampa Bay? What is the narrative around New Orleans, right? Like, it seems like New Orleans is starting to ascend, and it seems like people are starting to question some of the elements of Tampa Bay. So let's look into a NFC South matchup. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have my guy teddy two gloves the butler with his white glove service teddy bridgewater in a panthers versus bucks matchup uh one of the biggest things to note here is you know christian mccaffrey was gone for weeks came back because the ankle sprain was okay but he has another injury now that he is milking so we do not think we'll see christian mccaffrey the return of mike davis into the fold but remember robbie anderson and dj moore are performing as one of the better duos in the league curtis Samuel has started to pop off with a role in this offense and the Panthers are moving the ball the Panthers are scoring I wonder if they'll be able to do so against this Tampa Bay defense which has been ballyhooed for a while but didn't look great in the last couple of weeks against say like New Orleans uh, I mean Dan this is pretty easy right we know what to do we gotta take the bucks 
They were obliterated. They were horrible. How many points did they miss the point spread by? Almost 40? Close your eyes special, baby. Close your eyes special. come on, man. There's only one option here. You got to come back to Tampa Bay. You have to. I I understand Teddy Two Gloves covers numbers. Like, that's what he's paid to do. Not win games. Just cover numbers. And the Bucs, nobody's going to want to back this team. But odds are this thing would be closer to a touchdown if... Tampa Bay even looked remotely competent. I will say, I don't think we're looking at much of a discount because the Panthers just competed with the Chiefs and the Bucks looked awful. They did. Like, I am slightly surprised this isn't much lower because the first go-around, it was a seven and a half. So this actually, again, for your home field kind of shifts there, there is actually a little bit more love to the Tampa Bay side, but... I think your only option here is to roll with the Bucks, and this should be the most focused, pissed-off version of this football team. It should be. And this is very much show a spot. Like, if you're taking the Panthers plus five and a half, um, you have to ask yourself, do you think they can win the game? Or are you, fact, are you really hoping the spread matters? If you're hoping the spread matters, okay. The Bucks lose this game. It is time to sound the alarms and press the panic button. That'd be really, really bad. Yeah, um, I am one of those people that you're talking about here, Kev, where I think the point spread could matter, right? The Panthers and Teddy Two Gloves, I hate them as favorites. I love them as dogs, right? And so, again, in Carolina, home divisional dog, Kev. You know the stats on them. It's around 60%. The home divisional dogs, this would be a case of that. I I think Tampa wins the game, but I think they just get by, you know, Ryan suck up late field goal, something like that. I actually think Bucks win, but I'll take my man Teddy Two Gloves to cover. And the other NFC South game, and it's listen, the arrow seems to be pointing down on the Bucks. Everyone liked them to win the NFC a mere like two weeks ago, right? I have shares of it myself. And on the flip side, people are thinking the Saints are growing. Well, what do you know when you get last year's Offensive Player of the Year, Michael Thomas back, all of a sudden, Drew Brees is able to find 11 different receivers. Alvin Kamara is still doing his thing, and we have the San Francisco 49ers coming to town into the dome to see the Saints. Nine and a half is the spread in this one, which is a big one. Remember when these two teams played last year? In the Dome, I believe it was like 48-45. Remember the George Kittle big-time run, pretending like he was Mark Bavaro or something like that at the very end of the game, allowing the Saints to get what was one of the better games in the NFL last season. But, Kev, this is not the same San Francisco 49ers team. Jimmy G is down. Raheem Mostert is down. George Kittle is down. We may get the return of Debo Samuel. We know about the injuries on the defensive side of the ball as well. When you talk about, Kev, like, is the NFC West any good? Part of the reason is because the shine has come off these San Francisco 49ers because of injury and poor play. Does this version of the Niners have a chance to at least cover this number on what I think is an ascending Saints team at home. I think this is another game that requires investigative work. This nine and a half is absolutely a trap. Is it not? Why is this number not 12 and a half? When you consider the last times that we saw these teams play, the Niners, prime time, obliterated by the Packers. A couple of garbage time touchdowns made that more respectable than it really should have been, and it still wasn't respectable when you look at the final margin. Saints couldn't have looked any better 
on Sunday. I don't think, and I could be wrong here, but I don't think if the book posted 10.5, people would have been bashful. I think they would have still been running to the window on the New Orleans Saints. So the whys, Niners off of the mini-buy, okay, maybe a bit of juice there. Respect for Kyle Shanahan, maybe a bit of juice there, some returning skill players, but this does feel like a bit of a trap here, Dane, on this nine and a half. I don't know why this isn't closer to two touchdowns when you consider the recent form that we've seen these two teams in. It's worrisome to me. I think I'd rather play the over. I hear you. You think the over would be the way you go. Let me ask you about that because, listen, haven't the Saints defense been getting better and better in recent weeks? I think the return of Marcus Davenport has been big. Like early in the season, I was with you. You were big on how bad the Saints defense was. I mean, they were giving up 30 points a game like the Texans and the Jaguars at one point in this season. They have fixed some things, at least to me, Kev, it looks like, in the last couple of games defensively. So when I see... um, the kind of, you know, bench players for the Niners coming in against this Saints defense. I don't know that I feel tremendously confident in the over because I just don't know how San Fran is going to score, even with a 10-point margin here, right? And that's what the book is telling you, right? Something like 27-17 does not get the job done, Kev. Why do you think over on this one? Because I don't, I don't think the Saints have fixed all their defensive issues. That was a game where everything broke their way. Tom Brady had a ball bounce off two defensive linemen that they ended up picking off by a third defensive lineman. A uh, a miscommunication on Antonio Brown was one of the other. But this Niners offense is not the Bucs offense, though, also. No, it's it's not, but the Niners offense is still captained by Kyle Shanahan. We saw last week they will go all the way until the last 14 garbage time points. Sure, sign me up for that. I mean, I won a fantasy championship once because Blake Bortles garbage time. And I knew going into it at the half, he'd be having a terrible game. Garbage time is valuable, and the Niners will deliver that. Plus, they are going to be getting some of their offensive weapons back. So, And that's the thing. Look, the Saints gave up 23 points to the Bears, and that was like a real 23 points where the Bears actually look good, not even the garbage time that they put up against the Titans. And that was the game before the Bucks game. So I'm not sure the Saints have figured things out defensively. And Michael Thomas back, this Niners defense is really, really bad. The Saints very well could give me 35. No, that that's that's fair. Um, I am just not a big fan of this Niners offense these days with Nick Mullins under center and not having the elements like a kiddo. We'll see about Debo Samuel. Here's what I want to ask you. The last time I asked you this exact question, you told me that the Bucks, the Seahawks, and the Packers were clearly the best three teams in the NFC, that they had established themselves as a tier. Um, it sounds like you think the Saints can win this game because you think, you know, the spread should be even bigger. If the Saints do win this game and get to seven and two on the season with Michael Thomas back, you know, and maybe the defense hasn't completely fixed all their ills, but maybe I believe at least this has the arrow pointing up to what extent do the saints then belong in that NFC contender conversation? Do you believe they have an opportunity to be one of these tier one teams or even potentially a favorite? Because listen, we're talking about how Seattle could lose, you know, it's possible that the Saints are right there at the top of the NFC when we wake up on Monday morning. Yeah, I guess we just didn't reset the deck. I mean, I, I had said that the Saints with the that result over the Bucs yeah. could, yeah, I mean, very easily push. I mean, they are the joint favorites to win the NFC. 
So I am no fool. This team is absolutely so do you in buy the it, mix. Though? Do you buy their improvements? This is the problem. I just don't know if there's an NFC team that I'm buying, really. There's just there's a lot of these aspects of it that I, I if right now if I had to make one NFC future bet, I think it'd be on Green Bay for whatever it's worth. Okay. But this yeah, the Saints are right there in that group. I, I said this the other week. I said I feel like the NFC might be like seven teams deep in terms of its own tier, and it's just all of them together. Yeah, can I ask you one other question? Because you're talking about this, and we do tiers a lot in the AFC and the NFC. Mm-hmm. FanDuel has a bet that they have all the time, okay? And the numbers have moved a little bit. You could at any point in the season get um, the AFC or the NFC to win the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And currently, the AFC is the favorite. The AFC has been the favorite for most of the year. The number's gone between, say, minus 130, minus 140, minus 150. It is currently minus 148 to the AFC. Um, the way you discuss the NFC, right, makes me think, like, you know, we may have a bunch of good teams, but kind of fugazi at that true championship level. Meanwhile, yeah. we're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, where you think Patty Mahomes has all the answers, and other teams, right? Whether it be Pittsburgh or Baltimore or whatever the case may be. Can I interest you to lay minus 140 something on the AFC right now? So I, I, I genuinely love questions like this because what you want to do is if you're going to make this bet, right, ask yourself why. I'm going to bet the AFC at minus 148 because I think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. Why in the and world in would the you Super bet minus? Bowl that week, they'll be worse, right? It'll be like minus 200 yeah. or something. But here's the thing, Dane, right? Why would you bet minus 148 when it's plus 350 for them to win the Super Bowl? You don't do that. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, that ultimately is If you thought the Chiefs were your only horse, maybe you want to grab the Chiefs and the Steelers and the Raiders or whatever sure. it is. Right. I think, I think, you know, if it was the Ravens or the Chiefs there— I would like the AFC. So there's a couple of different more, right? Like, so maybe I'll just take those teams to win the Super Bowl. But, like, if Pittsburgh gets there, now I'm thrown off a little bit, right? I guess I'd have to, you know, give Pittsburgh credit if they did end up showing up to that dance. Eventually, you'd have to give them credit, yes. Yeah. Like, if if Big Ben is, like, holding the trophy over his head, I'm like, eh, I'm all right. They might be okay. And not a moment sooner. Um, the, The interesting caveat is... The Chiefs and the Ravens, I believe, on a neutral, are favored over every single NFC team, with the exception of the Bucks, because they're home in the game. And, home and I have no idea how that is factored in by the book. I think the Chiefs would still be road favorites. They're going to play each other in Tampa Bay, so we will literally get an answer to that question. I don't know how Baltimore mm-hmm. would be booked. That, though, if I had to play it, i put it like this. I think the AFC one is the winning bet, but I don't love the value. Right. No, I hear you. Uh, another one of those NFC contenders that could be all the way there. You've referenced them before. You name-checked them. So I'm going to bring them up now here. The Green Bay Packers, they have an interesting game. They got the Jags this week. You think they should get through that one. It's a 13-and-a-half-point spread in Green Bay. The one thing I will say, though, is we expect weather in this game, right, Kev? We're going to have big-time yeah. win. That could level the playing field. For me, that may be late as a player field, not for the Packers to lose the game, but to make maybe two touchdowns a little bit too big of a spread, what say you real quick? We can touch it on the other side. Yeah, I I think I lay it. Ultimately, I understand what you're saying, but when you look at Green Bay, when they win, 
they win. This team's for real. This is what they do. They should be able to beat up on the Jags that just covered a number for the first time since week two. Yeah, I hear you. I just remember what I saw with that Raiders-Browns game a few weeks back. And if it's anything like that, we will see. More football after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, welcome back in, everybody. Right here onto the early line, Dane and Kev. Kev is enthralled and hypnotized by the action at Augusta. We'll talk about golf. It is a football Friday, but we need to take a quick detour, Kev, and congratulate some more folks in Major League Baseball who handed out their MVP awards yesterday in the National League. Freddie Freeman, who started this season battling COVID, telling his teammates, you don't want this, bro, wound up hitting 341 taking the Braves to the Nash Championship Series with a 2.9 war coming out of almost nowhere with his OPS over 1100 not to be outdone in the American League Jose Abreu is your 2020 MVP remember this is in 60 games Kev the man hit 19 home runs and 60 ribbies pacing to what like 50 homers and 140 ribbies over the course of a season as those White Sox and the young kids cracked into the playoffs themselves here at the early line. We tip our cap to Jose Abreu and Freddie Freeman. Did they get it right in your opinion, Kev? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to be overly angry about any of it. I, I would have liked to see DJ LeMahieu win. That's a Yankees fan thing. Um, I think a Bray winning is actually kind of cool, though, because this guy burst onto the scene, and we were like, oh, man, this guy's for real. And I know shortened season, but that's the type of stuff where you live up to the promise, to the talent level that you have. I love how you mentioned kind of what he's on pace for. Um, it's, you know, Pujols-esque and for those that don't know what I mean, like go back and look at the numbers that Pujols was putting up when he was winning MVPs. Oh. They're just preposterous. Like it's all ridiculous. I don't know how any of that was real. He's batting 340 well, with 160 RBIs. I mean, it, it just. <laughs> well, Pujols, no, no word on Pujols. Easy there, easy there. Some other guys, not Albert. We leave, we leave him alone until we hear otherwise. And then look, Freeman. I just thought it was hilarious because you and I spent like. Many, many like moments arguing Mookie versus Tatis just for FanDuel to post a market like 24 hours later that had Freddie right. like a minus 200 to win this right. award. So at that was moment, on I'm Tatis like, all right, and we then a becomes time. a finalist instead of Tatis. Yeah. You know, <laughs> interesting. And I did make this point, Kev. Shane Bieber finished fourth. Okay, and we didn't know that because we only knew the three finalists. But Bieber yeah. did get all the way to fourth. And remember, him and Ramirez, two Indians, maybe splitted that vote a little bit. But congrats to Freeman and Abreu. We go back to football after this for hour number two. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.